and just uh, knowing the Lord and the presence of the Lord and hear him speak to us. Amen. Amen. Um, Psalm 27, I read that in the beginning, and it's just one verse to kind of springboard us this morning, and it's verse 8. It still seems a little loud to me, maybe a little bit down, Jimmy, just a hair. Um, Psalm 27, 8 says, my heart says of you, seek his face in your face, Lord, I will seek was the response. We know that in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Amen. Amen. I, I, this just, it's not in my notes, but I just feel I want to, again, just have this thought and I want to share with you. And if it's the Lord, it might be the Lord, but I, I think it might be. For those of you who are listening this morning, but I think that there's someone here this morning. I just, you need to hear this. You need to start taking God at his word. Some of, some of you or one of you is not. I just, I just feel that. And I'm, I, I, I'm not going to be all weird about that. I don't do that often. I, but I just feel very strongly that someone here needs to start taking God at his word. And don't start trying to manipulate and change and make it do something else or suit your needs or, or try to find a different interpretation or find loopholes. Take God at his word. It's for the best because it's his word. It's truth and it's for your good. And that's, that's all I'm going I'm to leave you with. I just feel like someone needs to hear that right now. And, and, and don't wait to do that because you're missing out. Amen? My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. You know, we're coming to God with faith, and, and it's the only way to come to God, and Hebrews tells us that, and Judy's going to start a study on that. But it's so important for us to remember that all the things that we see, feel, or think get in the way so often of our faith um, and, and us moving forward in faith and connecting with God and, and having as our reward God himself. That is an awesome reward. See, here's the thing this morning as we think about this scripture, and and this is really um, a reminder for us, an encouragement, a challenge for us to respond to something that is inside of every single human being. And I I will, I I know I'm saying that, and and to break down the theology of it, whatever, but something in there has been put there by God. In Ecclesiastes, it says that God has placed eternity in the heart of men. There is this longing desire, there is something wondering and thinking about more than what's just this life. And it's actually something they don't, someone doesn't say, doesn't really know that, but that there's more to this life. There's a being, there's somebody there. And we say a higher power, an AA, right? But we def- in CR, we say it's Jesus Christ, right? We define there's one God. We know who that is. The Bible tells us. But that there's someone there. There's, there's a creator. And in every single human being, God has placed this concept of eternity. And then we do something with that concept. I think it's God-given. And, and as a Christian, when we've come to know Jesus, there's this desire. We've been drawn by the Holy Spirit. And there's this, there's, the heart is always crying out through all the stuff. If it's buried, or if it's shrouded, or if it's, if it's just clouded over with something, it's always crying out, Seek His face! And the psalmist has a response here. He says, Your face, Lord, I'm going to seek. 
Because our heart wants that. Think about it. That's what we really need and want. And we do so much more than listen to what, if I could say, our gut, our spirit, our heart tells us. That we would seek God and connect with Him on an ongoing basis. And be so submitted and surrendered that we could be empowered to know Him fully as we move through our day. Will we say, your face, Lord, I will seek? Or will we just let the, our heart keep saying, seek his face. There's this drawing, seek his face. And we make this choice and we turn away. Or we subdue it. Or we cover it with something. Or we ignore it. Seek his face. Lord, help us to say, I will seek your face. See, here's the thing. This morning, God is here. You know, I know that this is an absolute fact because the Bible tells us so. First of all, God is omnipresent. Amen? That means, the simplest way to put it is that God is everywhere at once. Plain and simple. That's just to make it very generic, but it was the truth. It's what it is. He's everywhere at once. God is pre- Psalm 139 reiterates this for us very clearly, and we're so familiar with this psalm. And it says, the psalmist says that we can't, even if he tried going different places, he says in verse 7 that he cannot, we cannot flee God's presence. He can't run away from his spirit. You will never do it. No matter where you go, the darkest place, the deepest place, the wettest place, the driest place, God will not leave you as a Christian. And you can't escape his presence. Nothing leaves his watchful eye over you. You can't do it. Secondly, God is here, and I know that. It's not even that he's here, but he's in us. It's so much more than that God is here. When we come together on a Sunday morning, and God's presence is here, God's because he's everywhere, and he's here and he's waiting. And the reality is, is that if you're a Christian, I'm speaking to Christians at this point, and if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're a child of God, it's not just that God is omnipresent and He's here and He's around us and He's with us, but He's in you. We, we understand this, most of us, fundamentally. We understand that basic truth about our salvation, that when we're saved, the Spirit of God comes in fully into our lives. And, and he, Jesus promises that Holy Spirit in John 14, that He wouldn't only be with us, but He would reside inside of us. That is awesome when you think about that. That you take those things and you layer them, or you put them together. That God is everywhere. God is here. We come together as his people, and his spirit is in us. It's supposed to be like a big kaboomy. All right, if I could put it that way, an explosion should take place where there's this power of God that's happening, the presence of God that becomes, and I'll get to it in a second, that it's manifest that God's presence is here. And yet at the same time, the fact that God is everywhere at once, and then in the believer, He's present in you, yet He is separate. And He's separate because He's holy. He's different than you and me. You're created, God is not. He created you, no one created Him. God is, is, has always been there, always been there, and this separates Him from everything else in the universe. He's holy, that He's different, He's unique, He's separate, but He's also sinless. In that, in that regard, nothing is he's perfectly pure and holy and, and, and there's no unrighteousness in him. And he's different from all the false gods. You know why? Because false gods are created. There's only one God. So he absolutely is holy. There's only one God. Every other so-called God has been created in the minds of men or with the hands of men. And there's a battle that we face between, and, and Paul writes about this, and it's implied, and it's even more than implied, it's it's, it's obvious in there to the letter of the Corinthians that there's this battle between the flesh, our body, and the spirit man, the spiritual stuff, uh, the spirit that lives inside of us, and our spirit. And it's constantly going, and there's a battle, and it reminds us of the fact that we are created, even though God lives in us. 
And we struggle with all this temporary earthly and this physical body. God is here, though. God is absolutely here. And if you're a child of God, God is in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, those two people. Praise God. God is in you. Hallelujah. We're brothers then and sister. Amen. Praise God. God is here. God is to be sought. God is not only here, He's to be sought. See, that's the thing about God, is that He already made a way. He wants to be sought. After everything broke down in the garden and there's a separation, God does everything and He calls out so that He could be sought. He wants to be sought, that we would seek Him so that we can find Him. He's calling us out. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Or He's here. And, and, and he can still be found because, well, the church is still on the earth and the Spirit of God still is, on, is moving and, and working in the church and through the church and he's present. There, there will come a, it implies that there will come a time at some point that he won't be able to be found. But while he can be found, which is now, let's, let's seek him out. Let's seek him and call on him when he's near. He's close to us. He's in us. Salvation, you see, assures us that, that we have found God or that rather, really, he has found us. Amen? I mean, that's really what happened. But there's two traps. The two traps are this. First of all, we can get trapped into thinking that we're saved, we've found him, and we've probably heard this in other sermons and this concept has been put forth, that we found him, so, so we don't need to seek him anymore. We're good. I mean, he's with us, he's in us. Let's just cruise right through life because he's with us and in us, and we're good. And that's a trap. And, and it leads to, to, to a, a spirituality, a Christian walk that, that really misses out on the joy and the abundant life that God offers us and the adventure. If I, I hate to use that expression, but the adventure that Christianity is. Amen. But secondly, the second trap is that often, because we know that God is with us and in us and He's living in us and He empowers us and He strengthens us, when we go to Him and seek Him, we seek Him for the wrong thing. We always go first, and it's not wrong, but it can be um, misdirected a lot of times, is that we seek him for his hand, you know, this, his strong right hand. And we have examples of that throughout Scripture with David and the kings and, and even the first church. They want to see God's hand move and the power of God working on behalf and doing miraculous things. But we, we want his hand, but we don't want his face. Like, we want the good stuff he gives us. We just don't want him, like, because we know that that also includes his holiness. Because we know that it also includes His mercy and grace. And, and when we receive it from Him, we, we, and we see it through His eyes, we have to give it back too. Because that's His expectation. We want His hand and not His face. So often we want His power. I want the power. I want to see God do amazing things in my life, in my family, in my church, whatever. And we do. We, we should want that. We should expect that and desire that. But, but we don't want just His person, just who He is as a being. As a creator. You're a creator. As your Savior. God wants us to seek Him. Not what He wants first. He wants us to seek Him. And He calls out for us to do that while He may be found and to call on Him while He is near so that we would know Him as a person and as a result we see Him work in and through our lives. God is to be sought. So how do we seek Him? How do we seek God? The first thing is, in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 19, David says, Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Set your mind on Him. Set your mind on Him. Start there and leave it there. Keep your mind on Jesus, fixed on Jesus. That's how you seek Him. That becomes the target, the goal of everything you want to do. And then when your mind is there and made up and you devote your heart and soul to Him, make a choice to direct your heart towards Him, to keep your heart turned toward Him. 
It's your mind and it's your heart. And they should work together as you press into God and you seek Him and you devote yourselves to that. That means you're all in to seeking God and to meeting with Him and to knowing Him. See, here's the thing. God isn't lost. But we go off track. And so He invites us to seek Him. He invites us. And, and, and you know, we, we, we need to go around just these things in our lives... I'll call them the veils or these, like, these clouds in our lives that stop us from experiencing God's face and, and from connecting with Him in His presence. And, and there's, there's just the simple obstacles that, to finding God that we need to address and remove from our lives with God's help. There's four of them. The first one is an automatic one. Because we, we want to get rid of these things because there's a difference between, as I mentioned, God's presence and God's manifestation. God's always there if you're a believer, right? But I want God's manifestation. I want to see Him being there. And when I, I can see Him move, I can hear Him speak, right? I can, and I know that it's Him. It's not just this awareness in my mind because it's theological, it's true, and it's God. And I know He came into my heart and He's present, He's with me. But I want to see Him manifest in my life. I think we could use a little more of that today in the church. Amen? I really do. I really believe that. And it's not because we're going to become some charismatic weirdos. That's not the point. The point is that we need some more manifestation of God, where it's not just His presence, but He's actually moving. And it's, as I mentioned, it's almost like it's tangible. You know, it's convincing. And it's so obvious. It's God has manifested among us and through us. But the first obstacle to connecting with God or to finding God when you seek Him is an automatic. And we can all probably say it, and it's simply sin. Simply sin. It doesn't matter how you slice or dice it. It doesn't matter how you claim you're once saved, always saved, or whether you believe the other, whatever, that you're secure and you're in. It doesn't matter how hard and how true that is. But if there's sin in your life, or if it's getting a hold in your life, or if you're messing with it and toying with it, it is an obstacle to finding God when you seek Him. You can seek all you want, but if you're enjoying sin in the process, you are not going to find God. You're not going to find God. It's just not going to happen. Now, when you get to that point where you are so broken and you realize what you're doing and in sincerity and truth by the power of the Spirit who helps you to repent and confess, you make that call and God will respond to you just like that son who was lost and his arms will be open and he'll be running to you because you ran to him too. In truth and in in sincerity, honestly, and and, and being drawn by it, it'll happen. But if you're messing around, you know that you need to stop that because you will not connect with God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Plain and simple. Sin stops us and blocks us from connecting with God. You know, we know that. But how long are we going to keep doing this? And the church has become so accustomed to doing this, and we're not supposed to be doing that. We know it happens. But just because it happened in Corinthians and all those other examples doesn't mean that it's okay for us to do that. Time to move on and become everything God wants us to and cut through the sin and remove that so that we can see God manifest, so we can connect with Him. See, God is so holy. He's so righteous. He can't tolerate. In fact, Habakkuk says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. I didn't say that. That's that's God's nature, his character. That's one of his attributes, holiness and right. And he's just, he can't handle it. It doesn't mean he doesn't, 
doesn't, doesn't uh, uh, draw you and want you and call out to you. And, and, and he, he demonstrated that through sending Jesus, his son, so that we could... He, God has a plan, but he, his eyes are too pure. He can't tolerate wrong and he can't look on evil. Can't do it. Sin blocks us. So if it's there and we go to seek God and we're, there's sin and we're not repenting of it, we're not changing, guess what? You're not going to find God. You're not going to find God. Secondly, there's another obstacle to us finding God and when we seek him. And it's our senses. It's our senses. And, and this, is, this is the truth. This is, we get caught up with things we feel, our emotions, all that, and it becomes an obstacle to us knowing God. Believe it or not. Hebrews 11, 6. I'm reading it again, as I read earlier. Without faith. It doesn't say without feelings. It doesn't say without, you know, a special miracle, miraculous provision. Or whatever. Or you fill in the blank. that It is impossible to please God. It says without faith. It's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's not about how you feel. That's great. I'm glad that you feel like garbage today. No, I'm not, actually. But, but listen, I'm glad, that, and I'm not glad that you're so happy, right? I mean, you could twist it. You could take all these emotions and do whatever you want, and people get upset because, well, I'm not feeling good. It's not fair because they're, they're feeling good. And, then they, and all of a sudden, it affects your whole seeking God or, or your whole approach to God, and you become jealous or frustrated. God, why are they always blessed, and I'm not, and this, and your feelings and your thoughts, and, your, and it, it messes up the whole seeking God thing. You come by faith no matter what. We sang about that. That we keep seeking God. We want to know God. And that no matter what, if you're hurt, no matter what you're going through, you're going to praise God, you're going to keep seeking Him. It's faith. We cannot seek God through our emotions. That's absolutely impossible. Because when you seek God through your emotions, you actually create a false God. In the end. And you're not worshiping God. Emotions are a part of our experience. But you do not seek God through your emotions. We have to get through and around your emotions to get, to get at God. Just because you don't feel. Pastor Mike always says, we always talk, just because you, when, when you don't feel like you should seek God, that's when you should seek God. Because it's not about that. You should always seek God. It's not about the circumstances and the feelings. Seek God. He's calling out to you and He wants you to do that regularly. This does not require that we seek, as I mentioned, God without feeling, but rather our starting and ending point is not what we see, hear, or can touch physically. That all comes as a result of us seeking God by faith. But, but an unseen God can only be approached by faith, right? A.W. Tozer says something very interesting. He says, our trouble is that we have established bad thought habits. We habitually think of the visible world as real and doubt the reality of any other. We do not deny the existence of the spiritual world, but we doubt that it is real in the accepted meaning of the word. The world of senses intrudes upon our attention day and night for the whole of our lifetime. It is clamorous, it's insistent, and it's self-demonstrating. It does not appeal to our faith. It is here, assaulting our five senses, demanding to be accepted as real and final. And he says, But sin has so clouded the lenses of our hearts that we cannot see the other reality. The visible becomes the enemy of the invisible, the temporal of the eternal. This is the curse of men. We are so... I mean, our senses, our bodies... and. And, and we, we base, 
you, you, cannot, you can't go through the senses to God. You can't do that. It's by faith. And, and you will experience something, of course. But if you're approaching God or seeking God through your senses, you're going to fall short. You won't find him at all, actually. Sin and senses are obstacles to finding God. They can be. Let me just clarify, just to throw a little, little curveball in here. Sin, as I mentioned earlier, when you are in that darkest place and so lost without Jesus, or when you are in such an emotional state that you are, you, you are at your wit's end, God can actually use that to draw you to himself. Of course, it's his spirit and it's his word. But you are in that position. You are set up by God, if I can put it that way, to come back to him. But we don't seek him through those things. But God can use those, amen? Just, just to be clear. The, the next obstacle, and there's two more, is our schedules. Our schedules stop us from seeking God. Now, I have to be careful. Okay, Lord, help me. This is all about time. This is all about time. We, we, live, in a, we live in a world where we always say time is money and time is so valuable. But, but I'm just going to say that if, if as Christians, if that's really true, it, it, are we spending enough time with God? I mean, is the church spending enough time with God? And no, it's not about saying, Oh God, I prayed for three hours today, so absolutely you're going to move because I'm going I'm to work for it. I'm going to earn it because I gave you my time. It's not, it's not the approach. The idea is, is that our schedules get in the way of seeking God because we find everything else to fill our schedule except God. See, here's the thing. Our schedule should not be there and then we throw God in our schedule. We should make our schedule with God first and then the rest of the schedule comes in. Now, I know you work. We have responsibilities. You, know, you got to make dinner. You sleep. You gotta, we we, we got to do all those things. But start your schedule and fill your schedule in with God first. Then let everything else fill in. Does that make sense? Now, let me, let me, let me just, just uh, show you an, an example of that. So... Anybody know who Tom Brady is? I don't like mentioning his name, but anyway. I, I will say that, you know, and, and it kills me to say it, but he, he probably is one of the best quarterbacks ever. There's no doubt. You, you can't be, you can't be, you can't, you can't not say that and be honest. I mean, that's ridiculous. Oh, I hate saying that. Anyway. <laughs> But, but, you know, you know there's, only, there's only, I'm gonna, I can argue, hypothetically, there's only one thing that separates, I'll, I'll say me. It could, be any, it could be Jeff, it could be Pastor Dan, it could be any, right? Me from Tom Brady. And it's this one thing. It's how he spends his time and how he has spent his time. Sure, he has some, some, some intellectual and some physical, um, you know, probably legs up on me. At this point, right? I'm sure he does. But, but let, let's, yeah, just some. Let's, let's go back. Let's, but let's, let's go back again. The, the idea of time. Let's go back. We're both four years old. It's all about how time was used. If I did the same thing Tom Brady did, hypothetically, I could be Tom Brady. Now, and I'm being serious, just, just to make a point here. Our schedules determine who we are. And I say that with just conviction in my own heart, with how I mismanage my time, with how I don't spend enough time with God, with how I don't prioritize certain things that, that, that would make me more godly rather than just another person in this world that's going through. 
You know, if I spent as many hours in peewee football, if I threw the ball as much, if I worked out like Tom Brady did, it doesn't matter that he's taller than I am. But uh, it, the point is, no, really, if I, if I studied like he does and he spends hours, playbooks, and all, it's time. How much time are you putting in? What's the most important thing to you? Now, let me ask you something, just to carry a little further, because this is a big one. If, in fact, you are a Christian, and I'm talking to myself, in this world, and Jesus is coming soon, if, in fact, we are Christians, followers of Jesus, we have one thing that should occupy our minds, and we, just like Tom Brady, football is his world. Amen? Can we agree? If you're a Christian, Jesus and his ways are your world. I'm stating a fact, but it's not a reality. Last week, Pastor Monty was sharing, and he was talking in Ephesians chapter 5, how we have to be imitators of God, like dearly beloved children. This is what this is about. If you don't see God, and if you don't in your schedule remove all these obstacles, time. We have time for every stinking thing except for God, and to be with His people, and to be, and I'm going off here because it's true today in the world. And you have these huge churches all over, and churches here, and groups here, and groups there, and everyone's got time for everything but the things of God. It's not just my opinion. You be honest and you look at people's lives and what they're involved in. And there's no power in the church because we haven't connected with God because we're not seeking Him. Not much less on our own. Not less with our families. Not much less with our church. And I am frustrated. And it's a holy one. I'm not mad. Because this is God's heart and I believe this with all of my being. Where have we come? Where has the church come? Everything fills our schedule because we have to put ourselves out. We have to improve ourselves. We got to make sure we have 10,000 people watching us on Facebook and we let everybody know what's going on in our lives from each moment that we go to the bathroom to how many kids we have, how many diapers we change, to all that garbage that we all do anyway. What about Jesus? What about Jesus? We're Christians. We're Tom Brady's in the spiritual arena. And we should be so devoted in our schedules. And we're, we're eating, breathing, living Jesus and the Word of God and prayer in our lives. I'm talking to myself too. So don't, please, don't. I'm, I am. I'm guilty. I'm really guilty. Our schedules stop us from seeking God. You know why? Because we hate to wait. And when you go to God and you read the word or you pray, it isn't like you, oh God, I love you, and you meditate for five minutes and you're like done. Well, you, you haven't, you know, I'm going to tell you, you haven't sought God. And I'm not telling you it has to be a certain time frame. I'm not prescribing that. But it takes time. And we're not, we don't do that anymore. We don't invest time and energy to seek God, to press into God. And for some of us, like we used to. Why? Because the schedule has become a veil to the face of God. And we divide our life into two huge compartments, whether we do it intentionally or not. We have the sacred and the secular. And let me tell you, if you're a child, God is only supposed to be the Christian life. There is no secular and sacred. 
It's the Christian life that honors God. End of story. In all that we do. The last one is superficiality. This is another big one. Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are so far from me. Their worship is made up of only of, of, only of rules taught by men. See, God is asking here for the removal of appearances of seeking Him. Just because you have to do it X, Y, and Z, or, or you, you put on a certain front, or you know, if you raise your hands, or if you go to the altar, or whatever, but your heart has to be there. We all understand this. In any relationship, superficiality stops you from seeing the face of God. Every time. And this is what happens when we allow sin, our senses, our schedules, to dictate how we seek God. We seek God then through religious road as if that would somehow summon God's manifest presence without our hearts actually engaged. It's not a good thing. Not a good thing. Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in superficiality. No, it says who call on him in truth. You know what that means? That it, the, the idea that it, in reality, that there's a transparency. We sang about that as well. That there's, there is a, there's an openness and where it's integrity. You're whole, you're complete, even though you're broken, right? But you're fully exposed before God. That's how, that's how we have to call and seek him. Jeremiah 29, 13, the prophet says, God says to the prophet, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your superficialities. Thanks, Muffy, with all your heart. All your heart. Your heart. Not your emotions, not your senses, not your crazy thoughts, and we all have them, and I have them, we struggle, and we die. I have all that, but your heart. And you know what happens is that we end up hiding, if I could put it, God behind our sin, our senses, our schedules, our superficiality, and then we try to seek Him because we're putting those things up, and, and, and we pretend we don't know what's, what's keeping us from God. But it just could be one of those four things. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And we're going to sing a couple songs as we close our service. But I want to leave you with this as they're getting ready. That there's a promise for seeking God. See, God, God, isn't, God isn't telling us to do something where He's not going to follow through on His word when He promises something. There is a promise for seeking God. And here's what happens when you seek God. <clears throat> You are found by God, and you're with God. It's funny, because we seek Him, but it's like He finds us, and then we're with Him. When, when we seek God, all compartmentalizing goes away. There is no such thing as sacred and secular. It's just, it's who we are, and, and we're Christians, and we do everything we can to glorify God. When we seek God, He promises that, that we're in Christ, and Christ is in us. Face to face, we're hand in hand, we're walking the walk. In fact, James 4.8 says, a lot of you know this, that draw near to me and I will draw near to, to you. David said to Solomon on the temple building project, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9, he said this to Solomon. It's, I don't know, this, maybe because David struggled doing this. And even though he had experiences, but he left this with his son. He said, if you seek him, he will be found by you. It's amazing that he leaves that for his son. And it's recorded in scripture. 
And the temple building project is going to be happening. And David's instructing him. Because David can't build a temple because of his prior sins. And God forbids it. He missed out on something he could have had. And he tells him, if you seek him, he'll be found by you. And I don't think Solomon did the best job doing that at times in his life. Seeking involves calling and pleading. See, here's the thing. When we do that in the end, here's the ultimate thing, that God himself is our reward. You were talking about that, Judy. That Jesus himself, that gift of salvation, that joy, he's it. That God, that he is our reward. And, and when these obstacles are removed, taken down and blown away by our faith, the eyes of our heart then see God. But God wants us to deal with these things. The altars are going to be open. But I want to encourage you to, to do what Psalm 105 and verse 4 instructs. And the altars are open and Kate's going to start singing. It says, look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Will you do that this morning? Let's close in a couple of songs. The altars are open. If you've got to stay there, that's fine. But seek the Lord and wait on Him. Amen?